Good morning. I'm Luke Heron, um, missionary with Africa Inland Mission here with my wife Jenny today. Uh, we've been with AIM for more than 30 years, several places in East Africa. Uh, some of you know about all this, uh, Comoro Islands, Djibouti, another country we called Alcatraz. That confused people. We, they actually thought we were on Alcatraz Island, but it's not a good place to be a missionary because there's no people there. Um, <laughs> But uh, in any event, we did that for about 20 years, and now I'm the international director of AIM. Uh, we're actually based in Sacramento, so not so far away. Uh, we have uh, two more years left in this role, and then, uh, then I'm not sure what happens after that, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, there was a brother here in the audience. Uh, his name's Lee. He gave me an exhortation uh, before the message. Uh, he said, make sure you end by 3 o'clock. Uh, he said something about a, some kind of game, some people coming in here from Detroit. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know, but I, I'll, I'll end by 2.30, so don't worry about that. <coughs> thanks, Lee. Appreciate that. Um, and seriously, thanks to Waypoint. I'm not quite used to your name yet, but, you know, I, but I think it's fine. Uh, so... But thank you to this church. You have faithfully supported us for 33 years um, and generously, too, and prayed for us, and you've taken on other AIM missionaries. We really, really appreciate you. So I'm happy to be here to talk about advancing God's purposes globally. Um, by the way, I love your value statement. Um, I think it's really good, and it's really clear, and it's got nice icons by it, um, <clears throat> a nice uh, rhythm to it. Um, so somebody, please send me, uh, send me that. I would, uh, we're working on our value statement in AIM, and uh, we won't steal yours, but the form I really like. So. But I, I really think this is good, and I'm particularly enamored to advancing God's purposes globally. Um, before I go any further, I believe this church is advancing His purposes globally, and I, I see the Lord doing that through this church, and I'm thankful. But let's keep going and do, as Paul says, let's excel still more and advance those purposes as far as the Lord will allow us to do globally. My text is Romans chapter 10, 1 through 15. Um, this is a classic missions text, one of the, after the Matthew 28 one, probably the one that gets preached on the most. Um, and I'm going to turn to it today, not for necessarily for that reason, but just because we were studying Romans uh, lately, and I was just struck reading this text about the simplicity and the power of what Paul asked to say in Romans 10. And I wanted to share that with you. And it goes along really well with the theme that Shannon gave me. So, I'm going to pray. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Pray that you would be here with us, that you would fill me and touch each one of us by the Holy Spirit. Help me to honor Jesus Christ in all I say and do, and to encourage and challenge my brothers and sisters here. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll read the text, but just bit by bit, and give a bit of commentary as I go along, and then do some application toward the end. Chapter 10, verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. 
For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, not according, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everybody, everyone who believes. Paul is referring here to his fellow Jews and their zeal for God which sadly was zeal without knowledge, he says. They're trying to establish their own law-based righteousness and not submitting to the righteousness that God offers through Jesus Christ. That was the great mistake. Jesus Christ, who has both accomplished the law and satisfied the demands of the law by bearing our sins on the cross. Verse 5, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul talks about the differences between these two types of righteousness. The first one is by the law or by works, and the second one is righteousness by faith. The righteousness by the law whether the Jewish Old Testament law or by whatever kind of Christian law we want to impose on ourselves, and there are many Christian laws that churches tend to impose on us. Righteousness by the law is hard. It's impossible to think about the Jewish law. We would have to live completely by all 600 or so commandments of the Old Testament and much more than that. Good luck. I will fail completely and have many times. The righteousness of faith. You don't have to do impossible things to receive this righteousness. You don't have to climb into heaven or descend into hell. You don't have to achieve a heavenly level of saintliness or pay off your sins yourself by descending into the abyss. No. This word of faith that we have heard, it is near us, in our mouths and in our hearts, Paul says. We confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts. We are justified and saved by this. Believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Why is this? Because Jesus' resurrection is the proof that his death was an acceptable offering and satisfied the judgment for our sins. 
This is why the resurrection is crucial. It's also crucial because it shows that Jesus is the victor over death, that he could not be vanquished by death and sin, but it gives us visible living proof that his sacrifice was acceptable, that our sins are paid for on the cross. And now we know that our sins are dealt with, and so this resurrection justifies us, declares us innocent and righteous before God. Confessing with our mouth saves us, grants us salvation. Because Paul says, quote in the Old Testament, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. His ears and his heart are open to our cry. It's not enough that Jesus died and rose for us. We must appropriate it for ourselves by believing and confessing and calling out to the Lord for salvation. Please don't hear me saying what Jesus did is not enough to save us. Of course it is, but we must make it our own by calling out and confessing. He is Lord of all, Jew and Greek, American, Mexican, Somali. He bestows his riches of grace forgiveness, eternal life, righteousness, and much, much more on all who call on him. Amen. And that is the gospel. And that is all we need to do to be saved. I'm not speaking anything new here. But it's stunning to me that it really is that simple. Like the thief on the cross. Did no good works. Did nothing besides believe and call on the Lord for mercy. We believe in him. We call on his name. That is what Paul is saying here. Don't think that you need to go to heaven and earn it or go to hell and pay for it. It is completely free to those who believe and confess. It is utterly simple. Almost too simple. Too easy to believe. Sometimes my whole being doesn't reject this, but struggles. How can it be so easy? And yet it is this easy. Believe in our hearts, <clears throat> confess with our mouths. We need to hold on to these verses. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. It's too wonderful for words. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this mercy. Thank you for this amazing truth that you have made this pathway so simple and so easy. We believe and we call and you save. That is the simple gospel message. Now Paul follows up with the obvious questions. <coughs> Excuse me and explains the clear gospel task for advancing his purposes globally. Verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. After stating this utterly clear and simple gospel, Paul moves to the response of the church. Step by step, he proceeds backwards, actually. He reverse engineers it, asks questions. Okay, well, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is to be saved, but how will they call on him of whom they have not heard? Very logical. It's not possible. How is someone going to call on a God of whom they have never heard? Okay, how will they hear then unless somebody preaches to them, unless someone brings the gospel to them? And how will someone go to them unless they are sent? So Paul ends there with sending or says this is the beginning. Sending. Excuse me. The church must send its people to preach and share the gospel with those who have never heard. His logic is clear and irrefutable. So the church's great task here is sending. The Greek word, apostolasin. Okay, I speak Greek very well, thanks to Google. Yeah, but you can hear that word, apostle, in there, right? That's our English word, or it's a Greek word. It's transliterated, apostle. Apostle just means sent one. Paul talks about people being sent. And when Paul refers to himself and others as apostle, he's saying we are the sent ones. So we have this. An utterly simple and profound gospel and an utterly clear task. Everything else flows from this. So if we want to advance his purposes globally, first, we must grasp this profoundly simple gospel. We must believe it in the depths of our hearts. Sincere, simple, and profound faith will transform us from the inside out. Good works will flow out of us as proof of that faith. People around us will see that our character matches our words and we will be salt and light in our communities. We must confess it openly and clearly with our mouths. And as we confess this, others will be touched by it. Paul says in this text, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Seeing helps, it's true. People see your good works Glorify God is in heaven. Seeing helps, but it's not enough. People in our community, our neighborhood, our families, our workplace are to be saved. They must hear the gospel from us. Paul's Colossians 4 prayer helps. Paul says he prays or he asks for prayer. Colossians chapter 4, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul asks for prayer that he may proclaim the gospel clearly, 
boldly as he ought to. And then he tells the Colossians, okay, this is what you need to do as well. Season your, season your speech with grace, as it were, with salt, that you may know how to answer each person. Okay. For Paul and for us all, we seek open doors for our proclamation and sharing of the gospel, and we want to share it clearly and wisely and graciously. We want the gospel to always be somewhere near the tip of our tongue. Mix it with normal conversation as the Lord gives opportunities. Our church will be a city on a hill. People will see the light and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. It starts with gospel transformation from the inside out, flows out through our good deeds, through our words into the community. In all this, we will advance his purposes locally and open the door to advance his purposes globally. No contradiction between these two things. We don't have to choose between local outreach and global advance of the gospel. They fit seamlessly together. So if we want to advance his purposes globally, First, we must grasp this profoundly simple gospel. Second, we must send people to proclaim the gospel globally. In order to send, our church must be missional, having a heart for both local and global proclamation of the gospel. Second, our people, you, those he calls, must hear his call to mission Third, our leaders must recognize this call in people's lives. And fourth, the church must get behind them with prayer and support. Each of those steps must take place. The church must be transformed by the gospel and have a heart for mission. Individual people must hear God's voice, nudging them, moving them toward this. Our leaders must recognize that in people's lives and the church must get behind them in this. Let me be clear about something. I believe the gospel is simple and that our mission task is clear. We must hold on to both of these points. But having said that, missions is not simple, nor is it easy. Not for you and not for AIM. There are challenges everywhere. We'll talk about some of them, but none of this is new to you. For this church, you face challenges to the gospel message itself, like our tendency to make it more complicated and become legalists who add things. We each have our inner Pharisee who constantly whispers to us, no way, it is that simple. How can you live by grace alone? You must follow the law in one way or another. Inner Pharisees, yeah, I've got a couple of them. Uh, one for each ear, they whisper to me. Or like our difficulty to humble ourselves to the point of being absolutely dependent on God's grace and mercy. It's wonderful it's beautiful, it's true, but it requires ourselves to humble ourselves and say, we have nothing to contribute. This is all what the Lord has done. Even the faith that we express is a gift of God. 
Our culture is so into self-esteem, positive thinking, etc. We have self-help gurus both inside us and outside of us want to tell us that we are not so bad, that we are basically good, that our sins are just part of a bad education or a bad upbringing or situation, and we can all blame it on our dads too. Um, we should refuse to yield, and, and, and they tell us we should refuse to yield to such guilt trips, that we have something more than faith to contribute to our salvation. Not true. And there are voices in our society who loudly shout to us that there is no absolute truth, <clears throat> or that your truth is not my truth, and then we are arrogant and intolerant to claim that Jesus is the only way to the Father. We might value the Bible and go to church, but come on, let's not take this too, too seriously. <clears throat> All of these voices, inside and outside, individually inside and outside the church, collectively these voices can undermine our faith and joy in the gospel and hinder us from openly proclaiming and sharing what we know to be true. Yielding to these voices will diminish our global impact. If we allow them to undermine our faith and our proclamation of the truth in our own homes, neighborhoods, and communities, they will also undermine our missions giving, sending, and going. I note that they have not prevailed in this church, and I think of your faithfulness to us and to other AIM members, other missionaries, and even I've heard that some of your Lenten offering will be going to support relief in Sudan. Thank you so much for that. That is linked to gospel proclamation as well as providing relief for terrible suffering that's going on there. Thank you for that. For AIM, our challenges can be the same. We want more and more to honor and partner with local churches like Waypoint. But the more that churches succumb to such pressures in our societies, the weaker, smaller, and potentially poorer our missionary force becomes. Yeah. As goes the church, so goes mission. Yeah. Another challenge for Waypoint and for AIM is more subtle and perhaps more dangerous. It is to not deny the gospel and its simplicity, nor deny the missionary task and its clarity, but it is to emphasize other activities, activities that are mostly good, but can easily distract from the main task the Lord has given us. Activities like medical care, education, development, justice, fighting human trafficking, all of these are good things. And we in AIM, we engage in them, uh, and so do you uh, with, for instance, relief in Sudan. Me, I practiced medicine in, in poor communities in Africa for 20 years. But if we're not careful, they can easily end up being our primary focus. Instead of the simple gospel and clear mandate of sending and proclaiming that flow from Romans 10, so like our supporting churches, AIM must also grapple with an increasing tendency and our society and churches that favors these kind of feel-good activities and de-emphasizes proclamation of the gospel. Yeah. They feel better to many and are not so controversial as proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and planting churches. But neither are they the primary task that the Lord gives us to do. 
We have other challenges in AIM, but they are much, there's, there's, there's much more positivity to them. For example, <clears throat> our sending churches, like this church, often are wanting a bigger and more direct role in overseas missions. Um, we welcome this and believe that it is the church's birthright to participate more actively in mission. But sometimes we in mission agencies, we struggle with the practicalities of this and letting go of the reins to a degree. The missions field is becoming the missions force, especially in Africa. Local churches, local missionaries, uh, local evangelists are rising. What is the role then of, foreign, of a foreign international mission like AIM? Clearly, it is to encourage and support these local initiatives, train, catalyze, <clears throat> send local missionaries, and then sometimes to get out of the way and hand it over to them. But sometimes we struggle with the practicalities of this, and again, letting go of the reins. Missions is increasingly multicultural and international. We are growing in this regard in AIM, but we are still predominantly Western and majority American. To be clear, we want more American, Canadian, British missionaries, not less, but we also want more Africans, Asians, South Americans, and we want our systems and structures to adapt to a missions force that looks different and thinks different and sometimes doesn't even speak English, if you can believe that. But sometimes we struggle with the practicalities of this and, yet again, letting go of the reins. The gospel is simple and the task is clear, both for Waypoint and AIM. There are challenges, but in spite of them, we hold on to this simple gospel, clear mission. Finishing, let's talk about feet. That's Paul's last line of this section. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the news of the good news. Sorry, he's quoting Isaiah and talking about exiles returning. The feet of those who proclaim the good news that the exiles are returning. And Paul applies that to proclamation of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Really, how beautiful are feet? Probably there are some people out there who have truly beautiful feet. And on the beach or at the pool, we might admire them. I actually Googled this this morning, and there's whole books of pictures of people with beautiful feet. If you will excuse me, they're almost all young and female. So there we are. Yeah, and, and manicured, pedicured as well, sorry. Um, but I saw it with the curve of the foot there. I mean, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing, really. But normally, feet are much more about function than they are about beauty. Um, my feet are certainly not beautiful. But I saw your stained glass up there, and I see the beautiful feet of Jesus, those beautiful feet with the holes in them. There are beautiful feet. And Paul, quoting Isaiah and waxing poetic, says that the feet of those who proclaim the gospel are beautiful. Indeed, they are. Why? Because the gospel those feet carry is beautiful. 
The Lord those feet helped to proclaim. It's beautiful. The church that sent those feet. It's beautiful. And the feet themselves that walked to those who needed the gospel, whether here on the peninsula or in Mauritania in West Africa, not deviating to the left or to the right, walked across the streets or through the mud and the sand, got tired and blistered and sore and carrying the message. These feet are beautiful. May the Lord give many of us here these kind of feet. May Waypoint be a church of beautiful feet, feet who are ready to be sent to proclaim the utterly simple, wonderfully beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Because whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you know the rest. Thank you, Father, for these truths. Thank you for the true and simple and clear gospel and that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, may this church may be a church of beautiful feet. Let me grasp our clear and simple task of sending, claim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and advance your purposes globally in his name.